The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, I'm your host, Nicholas Wansbutter, and I'm very happy to be joined and to be returning to the air again after our our summer break with His Lordship, Bishop Daniel Dolan, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Church in Westchester, Ohio, and uh, by the assistant pastor of that same church, uh, Father Anthony Chicada. So, my Lord and Father, uh, it's great to be back on the air with both of you, and thank you for being on the show once again. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Nice to be back. Clerical Conversations on the Crisis is a show where we discuss a variety of timely topics, news items sometimes, current events, or certain themes. We've done uh, shows, for example, on uh, annulments and the Catholic view of marriage. We've done a show on the Olympics and on sports and the Catholic views towards those. Today what uh, we're going to be doing is something of a summer news roundup, if you will, a number of things that have gone on over the summer that Bishop Dolan and Father Chicada would like to uh, discuss, and we'll again look at these things from a Catholic perspective. And we've got a lot of really fascinating things to discuss. I'm really looking forward to the show. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, Millard, I wonder if I could ask you to lead us in a prayer to set the tone for our discussion. I would be very happy to thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, whose providence in the ordering of all things never fails, we humbly beseech thee to put away from us all harmful things, and to give us those things which are profitable to us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, thank you for that, Lord. So, to, uh, to lead off into our discussion of the news events, I wonder if we could start, Lord, with a bit of exposition on why it's proper or appropriate for clergy to be discussing these things, or for Catholics in general to be discussing them. A lot of people will sometimes object that the clergy shouldn't be getting involved in this sort of thing, they shouldn't be taking sides, they shouldn't be getting into politics. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why do a show like this. Oh, well, thank you, um, Nicholas. 
Indeed. Uh, every now and again, I can't bear it because I feel that we live in a world of 24-7 propaganda. And I'll print something in my bulletin or mention something in a sermon or even preach about some topic. And then someone will always come up with the old naturalist saw. The church should not be involved in politics. I was just reading this this summer and interesting article on Don Bosco in that um, that Latin Mass magazine, which for its all for its, for its editorial position and the rest of it still has a lot of interesting edifying material. Don Bosco told his religious never be involved in politics. But then when you read a little bit more, you understand that of course he was involved in politics. He had to be. Everybody does in one sense or another. But you know, I think I would make this distinction. I would say that we're not involved in 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 attempting to take over a nation or in attempting even to, to run a nation. Our goal is very modest. I would like our people to get some grasp of the objective truth, which I believe has not been, uh, is not provided to the people today by the by the media, and to see the truth in the light of Catholic truth, that's the kingship of Christ. That is to say, Catholic principles that are forgotten and need to be talked about, the principles of a just war or an unjust war, uh, the Catholic principle of uh, subsidiarity, for example. And then the common sense, maybe historical perspective, a hundred years ago, World War I started. Aren't we in these great naturalistic empires that are battling with each other? Aren't we just repeating the same thing over and over again? The, the same, which always leads to the same carnage, the same loss of lives and destruction and social disorder and great offense to God. Uh, and, and, and talking about any of these things which, which always touch upon violence and war, I am mindful of the words of Our Lady of Fatima that wars are a punishment for sin. I think that if, um, oh, if there is one, uh, one Catholic comment, trenchant comment that applies to almost all of these things, it would be that truth. Wars are indeed a punishment for sin. So let's look at this. Let's, let's try to see where the sin is, because that is our business, isn't it, to, to talk about sin. Right. And to right. this, I simply would add that um, the, the point that one tries to make from the pulpit uh, all the time, uh, not only for uh, matters such as this, but for uh, matters that are uh, part of everyone's day-to-day life, things that they encounter every day, that uh, we have to have the idea that we look at the events in our individual lives and in society, as it were, through the uh, through the prism, through the eyeglasses, as it were, of the Catholic faith, and this is what is supposed to give us a proper perspective and uh, allow us to see uh, reality not as the world and this, as the secular mind sees it, but uh, to to see it in light of the faith and uh, a little bit in the eye of God as well. Mm. Then I, so, to I suppose it comes that, down that, to not compartmentalizing our, our yes. life as well and Absolutely. sectioning off uh, the Catholicism. That's just for Sunday when we dress up nice and go to church. But the rest of the week, that's the real, the real wor- world reality, and that's separate from the, the nice stuff on Sunday. And, and, and what is that if not? That's naturalism, and that's, that's modernism, actually. Uh, and we have to be opposed to that with all of our might and all of our main, uh, the idea that it strikes me that the idea that there should be something, anything, 
on which the church or Christ the King should have nothing to say, and we should just be quiet about it, uh, is, is ludicrous, because it's, if it's not under God, if it isn't for our Lord, then it's under the devil. Nothing is, nothing is in, in practice, nothing is really neutral. It's either going to be good or it's going to be evil. Um, and along these lines, maybe the first thing to talk about might be a little bit the classic approach of the church in the United States in particular. Um, and then I would talk about that for a moment and maybe talk about the, 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 um, the classic role of the dissident or the schismatic church in, in Russia, the so-called Orthodox Church under the thumb of the czars or later on of the communists or now Putin, the temporal government. That's called the Caesaropapism, where the Caesar, he in effect, he sits as, as the Pope, because someone's going to have the power, after all, remember. I think that historically the American bishops just kept quiet. They not only kept quiet about things, but also they actively, to be accepted, to be part of things, they actively accepted all of the government propaganda and never raised their voice against it. That's, so we're battling an over 200-year history of that kind of a supine, servile attitude which on the part of a Catholic hierarchy, curiously enough, really does mirror uh, the subservience of the schismatic state church in, in Russia. Uh, what we're doing really wants to, wants to get away from that. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed, and this is something that you can uh, see in the uh, history of the United States, a history of, of law and constitutional law, especially in the uh, United States. The reason that, that we have, uh, say, an educational system uh, such as we do now, where uh, Catholics who want to have a Catholic education uh, for their children derive no uh, benefit at all from uh, taxes or state money, is precisely because the hierarchy in the 19th century uh, decided to uh, be subservient and to, uh, to, to go along with the uh, prevailing naturalistic ideas. And we're still living with the effects of that now. The Catholics in the United States pay for uh, the education of their children, if they want them to have a proper education, they end up paying two or three times with uh, uh, with their property taxes, their other taxes to the state, and then actually having to pay tuition to support the Catholic schools. So we can see where the, the, the bad effects of this uh, go along to get along. Uh, we can see how this played out in the long run. And the go-along to get-along, it seems to me that that plays into the compartmentalization as well, because part of that to get-along was to section off the Catholicism, and um, John F. Kennedy's uh, well-known speech comes to my mind, where he was uh, ensuring people that his Catholic faith would have no impact upon the way that he'd govern the nation. Uh, I mean, he couldn't have been elected if he hadn't made that deal with the devil, but that thinking seems to have permeated uh, American Catholic thought as well. And, I mean, in fairness, Canadian Catholics aren't really any different. <laughs> uh, but uh, is it the same in, in Europe? Uh, do you have any experience with that, your, uh, your lordship well, you know, or that's, father? That, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Well, look at, look at the church in France. The church in France... Um, uh, for a long time, really until the reign of uh, Leo the Thirteenth, was uh, 
was was firmly opposed to the to the revolution and then the hierarchy was divided but at least there were some members of the hierarchy who opposed the liberal and the um, and the masonic principles of the revolution refused to go along with them this is complicated with the condemnation of action française and uh the rise of the of of the left wing in effect the left wing uh, power in the hierarchy took over the church in France. They say between World War One and World War Two, um, and then it became just uh, just just more and more more and more liberal. What about Germany, Father? What would you say about that? Well, um, it's uh, from you know the the uh, knowledge of uh, German history that I have. Uh, the uh, because Germany was um, uh, divided. Uh, into uh, small states before it was uh, brought together one empire. You had uh, different traditions, I suppose, in uh, in the Catholic uh, parts of the country where uh, they were they tended to be more um, uh, uh, more militant. But uh, basically, what happened after the uh, Second World War is they uh, most German Catholics. Uh, because the influence of the hierarchy started to go along with the uh, liberal influence of, of politics and to make an accommodation uh, with society, now, the Germans particularly suffered from the uh, from the effects of the war and, and uh, turned, unfortunately, into uh, a very subservient people uh, because of of. Uh, being conquered in the Second World War. So that naturally affected their mentality, and uh, they wanted to become uh, uh, integrated, I guess, into modern liberal society. And then then even beforehand with Bismarck and the Kulturkampf, uh, in general terms, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, too, with Josephism, there was this idea of, the indeed, the all-powerful government that ruled and regulated the minutiae, the small detail of religious life, including uh, preaching sermons and the education of priests. And so I think that the Germanic peoples were were uh, sort of preformed already in the way of what? Of submitting to the government. So I, I think you could fairly say that for, for centuries now, since um, before the, uh, yes, since before the French Revolution either, even, you have, um, essentially, you have a subservient church, you have a subservient national church, and very often because of politics, Rome herself would go along with many of these subservient policies, just trying to get the very best for souls, obviously, and feeling it necessary to compromise, look at the suppression of the Jesuits. Uh, and this, this sets the tone, I think, for the, for, for the world. Who's going to, the, the Pope spoke out, uh, St. Pius X uh, died of grief a hundred years ago, uh, three weeks after the start of World War I, because he saw the futility of this war, and he saw how evil it would be. He saw all, all the horrible effects that would come as a result of World War I. Um, and he, and he you know, very, very strongly spoke out and did his very best to try to prevent it. So I think maybe one of the things we could talk about today would be, are we sort of setting ourselves up for another world war? Are, are those the, that same idea of empires uh, in in conflict? Do do are are we actually seeing that today? Hmm. Well, good question. Uh, it, it seems to me, and perhaps you have some other views on it, but for quite a while now, the empires seem to prefer to fight their wars by proxy in 
smaller, a uh, little more out-of-the-way locations rather than having a full-on war between themselves. But then that way they can kind of keep a baseline of warfare simmering all the time rather than some huge destructive thing that just annihilates everyone. Uh, but then that, but in effect, especially because of propaganda value and uh, money spent and lives lost, in effect, I think you can say that the West has now entered into the state of perpetual war. And perpetual war, we know from our fiction at least, that's what leads to the one world government more than anything mm-hmm. else, the total manipulation of minds and the total destruction of souls. Now, Lord, some listeners may be thinking, well, total, like, n- non-stop war, eternal war, we, what are you talking about? Uh, some people may, maybe we can, I could get you to expand a little bit on what war well, if, if we, are if we, we fighting back, right now. If we go, well, you have to, I think, what, we'd have to go back 100 years, right? So we have World War One, and all World War One did was to set the tone for World War Two, and then the, the the internal battles of socialism, national socialism in Germany, uh, international socialism in Russia, the Russian Revolution, the exporting of the Russian Revolution, then uh, all the crisis of the 30s, World War Two, then after World War Two comes the the so-called Cold War, and uh, these different sort of um, modified actions, as you say, through proxy, sort of proxy fights in effect, or direct fights like the Korean War. And uh, then that leads us into the Vietnam War and the continuation of this so-called Cold War and um, the Cuban Revolution, the Communist Revolution there. Then you have the um, the collapse of, of communism and then the rise again of Russia as it was 100 years ago as, as a powerful, just a powerful empire, period. Um, and then you have the whole Middle East uh, question, how the, how the United States goes in there. And um, by the stationing of troops, I think that was a big thing, the stationing of troops in what, what the uh, Mohammedans considered to be sacred land of Saudi Arabia, uh, how that agitated so many of these um, of, of these sort of sleeper Mohammedans who, you know, it was, it was a quiet life and this wasn't going on. And then uh, all of a sudden uh, there are these uh, terrorist movements, and um, uh, then there's been a perpetual war in the Middle East really ever since, uh, ever since maybe what the United States engineered in the 50s, the overthrow of the Mohammedan ruler of uh, Iran, for example, to replace him with, with the Shah. So you have the United States really behind the scenes doing all of these things. You have Russia, too, behind the scenes invading Afghanistan. There was a first battle there. And then you have to mention, too, the Zionist entity, the state of Israel, and that constant agitation and all the politics that are played there, and the horrible loss of lives this summer, the, 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 the disgusting scene, for which Americans are paying with their tax dollars, of course. It is, I think you would fairly say we are in a state of, we have been for a century in a state of perpetual war, and that has, um, that has bred the existence of a total propaganda uh, atmosphere. Everything is propaganda. One um, political scientist defines propaganda as the management of collective attitudes and obviously control over opinion. How? Through the manipulation of significant symbols. 
uh, so symbols that that should be dear to every citizen. For example, the the, the flag that might that might be a symbol. Uh, now that that's manipulated for something quite different, for somebody's political ends, someone's economic ends, probably for the flattening and the destruction of culture in, in individual nations uh, and societies and to make everything the same and to make everything sort of westernized. I, I think that's probably part of it, too. It's a very frightening scene. It really is a punishment for sin. And it's not like we weren't warned about this uh, because yeah. uh, people wrote even in the uh, 19th century with the limited means of communication uh, then to... Uh, the essentially newspapers and pamphlets about the dangers of, of a war propaganda. And with the advance of, of technology and the spread of the, the, the uh, ease with which idea can, uh, ideas can now be spread, uh, not just by paper media, but by the broadcast media, by the Internet, and now the, the 24-7 uh, news cycle, uh, it becomes uh, uh, truly scary. But time and time again, uh, we've been warned about uh, uh, perpetual war, about the, the manipulation of symbols, uh, about mass uh, 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 mass manipulation of uh, people's minds, but it seems that we uh, don't learn uh, the lesson. We don't learn really to see all these things for what they are as a, a manipulation, uh, first of all, from simply from a human and political point of view. But again, uh, for uh, those of us who are privileged to have the Catholic faith, um, we don't often see it through the prism of the faith as uh, as we should, and, and that's we just we, we allow it to to affect us. Yeah, that's the problem. We don't. That's exactly. We do not see it through the prism of the faith. We act in practice as though there were great chunks, important parts of our lives that, as as, as you said earlier, Nicholas, because of naturalism, that have nothing to do with the faith. That's just. It's a separate department. That can't be because it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the devil. That's 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 the simple truth of the matter. And then people end up being soulless and enslaved, and probably killed, too, for that matter. Mm. Well, it's a sobering thought to think that, really, uh, the United States and her allies have been at war with someone constantly for since before anyone on this show was born. Yes. And, and, and anyone listening to the show was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's uh, an, a few different trajectories that I could go with this. Uh, one that comes to mind when speaking about the abuse of symbols or the use of the American flag, couldn't it be said that really the American flag has been set up for that from the beginning since right from the the start, the United States lacking a state religion, they made the flag in America the state religion. And isn't that just automatically something to be very easily used and abused? For these sorts of purposes, when you're, I, I, I think there's a, I think there's a, there, there's a, there's something to that. I'm not sure they're buying into 100 percent, but there's certainly something to that. And unfortunately, the American Church, the clergy, and the, the hierarchy sort of fell over themselves from the very beginning to to be the first to offer incense to 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 render this to render this this homage. It's a more it's a more complicated issue than that, probably. But it, it does, the American flag does stand for 
this uh, this American empire, this imperium, in which in which we feel obliged to rule the world. Uh, somebody, I, I just read this this morning. Some uh, commentator remarked that uh, well, America has policed the war, the world since 1945. Uh, but we can't continue to do that anymore with mar- with money borrowed from China and Japan. That's just that's just the reality of things. So uh, I think maybe this this business about the symbolism that falls under the category of think about that, uh, study the issue a little bit, maybe do a little research on it, and, and indeed pray over these things and try to know the history of your own nation uh, before you maybe jump in to to express too categorical. Uh, an opinion about things. I think the idea of the the cultus, as it were, the the um, uh, <clears throat> cultivation of the American flag as a major symbol, really only began in the uh, 20th century, in the sense of, that uh, we know it. In fact, I don't think that the Star Spangled Banner was even considered an official national anthem uh, until some point in the, in the 20th century, but. Uh, uh, I associate it um, with the the, the, the expansion of the, the uh, cultus of the American flag with the uh, rise and effect of the modern mass media. Uh, one really started uh, to hear about it and, and hear about its its, its importance here. Its uh, so-called importance be emphasized. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of wars, uh, Lord, you mentioned earlier the. Catholic just war doctrine. Uh, I wonder, could you just talk about that briefly? What makes a war just? Because I know there's a lot of Catholics that would argue, well, um, the war in Afghanistan is completely just. We had to defend ourselves from maniacs flying planes into buildings. Or they'd say that we, the war in uh, Iraq was completely just because we had to de- defend ourselves against uh, them possibly acquiring, quote, weapons of mass destruction, unquote. So, what is when, when, you, when you hear idiocies like that, Nicholas, you just have to sort of shake your head and say, "Where do we even start?" Well, but I guess we could <laughs> we could start with Saint Augustine, right, and Thomas Aquinas, and now Father Chicada is our present professor, so he he is he's going to have to help me out here and 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 fill in the picture. Well, what, I mean, what, uh, there, there are about nine or ten conditions. There are nine or ten and conditions, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's all very uh, hemmed in. Circumstrap. And all very, 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 yeah. uh, uh, very qualified, and there has to yeah. be, you know, some sort of... Uh, the notion of war is primarily something which is defensive. It's never... Defensive. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, there has to be a just and proportionate cause for it. You can't... Um, Harm non-combatants, uh, yeah. you know, and the idea that, uh, in effect, what is an offensive war, uh, such as let us say the the, the uh, invasion of Iraq, somehow could be turned into a just war from a moral point of view, is uh, more than a stretch. Is virtually impossible to uh, uh, fulfill the conditions. So you can't just um, uh, simply because the President of the United States or the Congress declare it to be just, um, you can't uh, take that at face value. You have to operate according to Catholic principles. And, and that, has, and that by was, the way, has to be a justly declared war. And I was that just war was say, never yeah. declared according to the Constitution anyway. Never. 
most of these wars were never declared according to the American Constitution. So they're prima facie, they're, they're unjust. On the very face of it. Yeah, very face well, of it. Uh, I wonder if I could ask maybe a little more personal question in regards to these topics. Um, because both uh, my lord and father, you grew up in a very different United States than the one now. How do you, aside from kind of we've been speaking objective and more as pastoral and spiritual things, just on a personal level, how has how have these things affected you um, in your lives in the United States through the years? Well, one one gets one that that's trouble. You one gets used to living in a state of perpetual war, surrounded perpetually by propaganda. Uh, I, I'm conscious, especially as a priest, I'm conscious of that pull, the pull of the television set, the pull, the pull of the news coming all these different ways uh, every day of the week and all day long and all night long. Uh, and, I, and I worry about I worry about my people. I worry about the Catholic faithful throughout the world be, because of that, because of, of buying into buying into all of these lies. A, a, a lie, if it's if it's repeated and said boldly and no one objects to it. It serves as a, as a key uh, tool towards uh, mass brainwashing. And that's, in effect, what we see. And you see that even with good people, who then under, have very little understanding of the great principles of, of the conflict of the day in the church, because they've already been brainwashed. Well, just look at the whole exaltation of, of so-called democracy, which is just a lie. It's just a word. But they use it. They use it to justify all of these wars. And then, and then, as we say, this whole idea of the separation of church and state, and that the church has nothing to say about certain subjects. Already, you've got two or three major blows struck in favor of the devil's program for world subjection instead of the kingship of Christ. But it's, it's the world in which we've grown up and the world in which we've lived. Uh, it, it's, of course, from a personal point of view, you think of your eyes, but your eyes being opened a little bit at a time. I remember um, Nixon and the, and the Vietnam War, living through that era, and understanding the understanding that was, I think that's what I understood for the first time, the folly of these modern wars. Well, if they were going to fight to get rid of communism in North Vietnam, excellent, very good, but fight and fight to win. And then, then you understand a little bit more, uh, history of World War II. World War II served to set up uh, the communist subjugation of how many nations in Eastern Europe. That was the fruit of World War II. That the, the the international socialists won, and the national socialists were uh, were, uh, were were subjected. So it's it's, it's maybe a, a slow process. And when you understand these things, and you see people mindlessly repeating what their minders, what their rulers want them to say, it's very troubling. Very troubling. Father, do you, what would you uh, reflect on over the years? How it personally impacted you? The, various changes in the... Uh, well, you, you know, very much the same thing, because uh, Bishop Dole and I are uh, contemporaries. We, uh, even though we lived in different, we lived in different parts of the country, but lived through the same era. And uh, you s eventually come to the realization of this, this um, uh, manipulation by the uh, government to believe all of these, these, uh, uh, crazy lies, and, and you're pounded all the time with this propaganda by the uh, by the mass media. So you um, uh, eventually, if you actually try to see these um, 
issues in the light of the Catholic faith, you eventually figure out that you are, are in fact, uh, uh, being uh, told lies that are uh, intended to keep you uh, quiet and intended to uh, make you subservient to uh, to the state, those people who want to be our masters and who want to profit from it. So, but, uh, you know, that takes, you, you have to sit aside from that a little, or stand aside from that a little bit, and resolve not to uh, immerse yourself in uh, this type of propaganda so that you can think independently as a Catholic is supposed to. Do you think we'd they'd be able to maintain these continuous wars if the wars were actually being fought on American soil? Or is this uh, an important aspect of these almost sanitized wars where they, I mean, they fight them almost by the clicking of a mouse. A lot of it is drones and unmanned craft and and things like that from a distance. But it's also being fought far away. So people can go through their day-to-day lives. They're not having to have their food rationed. They don't need to run into a bomb shelter uh, at random times when bombers pass by overhead. Is that a factor in keeping this going? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. A, uh, that, that, that's an excellent point, and it's, it's a key factor in keeping it going. And remember, for a long time during the Vietnam War, for example, it was forbidden to show any any realistic pictures on television, and particularly, you, you, they were never allowed to show the pictures of the of the caskets of the, of the of the dead soldiers being returned to the United States. And it's only fairly recently that something like that uh, was allowed. Uh, and then, tele- but the television, on the other hand, becomes such a, a, propag- a propaganda means, just the internet, internet in general, maybe today too that it's very easy to shape that, but it's, it's always at a reserve. It's always at a distance. You're quite right. Mm-hmm. If, if it, we, we cause all of these people throughout the world to suffer and to suffer enormously. Well, no wonder there's a way there, there should be a wave of resentment against America for what it's done for all of this meddling and all these useless wasted wars. Uh, how much suffering we've, and it doesn't, you're right. It does not affect us directly. Not at all. It, it does. It does. If you have a relative, maybe who's gone crazy in Afghanistan or who's, or who's committed suicide in Iraq, some poor soldier or some, some woman who is deluded into joining the Air Force and, and then she gets herself raped. Uh, you have to live with that trauma for the rest of your life. Well, sure, you, that, it, it does affect a lot of the people, but that's all swept under the rug. It's talked about, but it's not, everything is fine on the surface. It's, it's the American consumerist way of life that goes on all of these nations. We have caused all of this grief. And what, and what a shame that is. What, 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 what an injustice. What, what an offense against Almighty God and His laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that uh, you're correct in saying by uh, conducting these wars at sort of the uh, push of a button, um, you uh, sanitize them and you uh, put them at a, a distance. And, you know, because of American know-how and technology, we're able to do that. Um, but And the effect of it is, is never really brought home. Uh, I think that when the government, uh, when our masters would really have problems, would be uh, if they tried to institute a universal draft for their perpetual wars. Uh, I think that, that uh, they're, they're, they've been smart enough uh, at this point, to let technology and volunteers do the fighting. But I think that the, the uh, political scene might change a little bit. 
if uh, the government actually tried to uh, force uh, our, our spoiled American youth to uh, give up, uh, uh, in effect, a large chunk of their lives and, and go and risk them actually fighting a war. Yeah. Yeah. But I think at this that point, be- the government is too, too, too smart to do it. And so what, what they do is they, they appeal to the very, very poor people, the people with no education, and the people with no future. They appeal to them, and uh, they think, well, this, this will give me an education. This may train me for a job. This gives me something to do for a few years and uh, some structure or meaning to my, my, my life. And then they join, and then they may come back maimed or their bodies may return. And, and in any case, they, they come back imbued in that horrible world uh, war culture and, uh, and a very, very liberal leftist culture, that is to say no culture at all, and then, or else a culture just of lies for, for fighting for the empire. How sad. There's, mm. there, there's a lot of injustice here. Well, well, that makes me think of another interesting point. I mean, I would look at it, they almost prey upon uh, people who are uh, impoverished to, to get them into this. But where I wanted to go is, I don't know if this is the same in the United States, but certainly in Canada... It seems to me that young people of a more conservative mindset, if, if I can use yeah. that phrase, I mean, I, I, I know left and conservative don't really exist, but people who have a bit of a, you know, a, a sense of patriotism, a, a yeah. little bit more old-fashioned way about them, they seem to be the ones that get sucked into the military too, because at least here the army has a somewhat traditional uh, feel to it, I mean, you've got discipline, you've got uniforms, you've, they're very big in the Canadian military on their regimental histories and traditions, so you draw in some of the better young people as well, and then, as you say, you turn them into, I don't know what they turn them into, but, you know, expo- imbuing them in this totally liberal system and the, the killing and the horrors and just break them and chew them up and spit them out. Well, wars are an instrument of, of social change. And so you look at the, the immense importance of, the war, of World War I for social change, particularly World War II, the employment of women in the, in the, in the, in the factories when, when the men were off dying in these wars in foreign countries. Um, so uh, the, 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 ch- the change that takes place here is that, that the, the army maybe used to be even though the, the, what they were actually fighting for was something that was highly debatable. But the army used to be disciplined, as you say, as a place of order, as a place of patriotism. That's all gone now. It's a place of rank uh, immorality. Uh, the, the, the very fact of the admission of women into the United States military and all of the rapes that take place and all the, the mixing of the sexes. If there were a Catholic church with a voice anymore to condemn it, can you imagine how she would condemn this? Uh, the just the, the moral effect, it's a sewer. It's a sewer. And the fact that our young people would feel in the least attracted to join up, how sad. Say nothing of the whole confusion of, of, the, of the proper sex roles between a man and a woman. That's, that's out the window. Social change, that's gone now. But just the real putting men in, in, in an occasion of sin, putting women into an occasion of sin, making women into fighters with rifles, it's mm-hmm. to fight some 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 uh, some some corporations' idea of a war, Halliburton and and Iraq, for example. Oh my goodness, uh, we we really can't we really can't condemn these things uh, strongly enough. But we condemn them according to Catholic principle, 
uh, and we condemn them according as we hope some sense of objective truth that we can eke out from the media. Um, one of the things uh, that, that I thought might be along those lines might, might be helpful is to, for some of the current events that, that have taken place this summer that we're talking about this today in this show, to talk about how, in effect, the old American thing would apply to us. We don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> so if you, if you look at Israel the, uh, versus uh, Hamas in, in Gaza, or if you look at the American empire versus the Russian empire and the showdown over, over Ukraine, or if you look at domestic affairs, um, the, uh, the crisis of yet some other, some other uh, black youth in the process of committing different crimes that day, being, being uh, slain by the police, and then all the rioting afterwards, and then the, uh, the, the, but the militarized, the soldierized uh, police force of the United States today coming in. When you just, just, just to examine those situations alone, we have to, we, you, you look at both sides and you say, it's all wrong. Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. And the thought that there's going to be a conservative, quote-unquote, position that we're going to take on these things and get ourselves all riled up? No, I don't think so. We, we if, regret if very those, much. That, go ahead. If you take those, those three things, Your Excellency, one by one, uh, if you take, uh, for instance, the uh, question of, of Israel versus Hamas, uh, you know, pox on both their houses, we shouldn't yeah. support either of them. No. Uh, there, uh, there is no moral justification uh, for us supporting these wars. Yet, uh, yet we do, and we do uh, get involved. Uh, the uh, uh, Israelis are able to slay um, Muslims in uh, their uh, unjust war because we provide them with an awful lot of money. Uh, the American government does, uh, which subsidizes their military. One thing that uh, I noticed in, in the latest uh, Israel versus uh, Hamas crisis was that uh, it was something that was buried in the paper uh, and the inside that uh, at a certain point, uh, Israel ran out of ammunition. Uh, and the uh, American government then had to scramble to get them more rockets and more artillery and more ammunition to pound Hamas. Now, uh, there's no moral justification for, uh, for us to do that, no reason. We don't really have a dog in the fight. Who cares? Um, no. Really, it doesn't uh, affect uh, our uh, national standing or national policy. Uh, on the natural level, and certainly on the supernatural level, it's wrong to uh, wrong to support an unjust war like that. So if you you take that um, uh, Israel versus Hamas, one uh, element in in the the war and the, uh, the propaganda for perpetual war, and then the the second thing you mentioned is uh, Ukraine versus Russia. Uh, I mean, uh, I feel sorry for people on both sides. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that um, uh, we should uh, pick a side as Americans or as, as Canadians, as, as citizens of other countries, and uh, get involved in the, the, the fight between these two people. 
in effect, now it's turned into a war between two empires, between uh, America and the West and uh, Putin's empire and Russia. Mm-hmm. So we're conscious of how much damage the American empire has done, particularly from a cultural or spiritual level, by, by bringing all the filth of the West uh, entertainment and consumerism to these places that still had some of a natural life and even a supernatural life in their families and their culture. But on the other hand, I think if you're talking about Ukraine, you also have to be conscious of the fact that how many times has, has Russia in the 20th century uh, attempted a, a genocide in Ukraine by uh, by the starvation programs of Stalin in the 1930s, and then then and then then the spiritual genocide, his his attempt the, the the attempt of the communists utterly to destroy the Ukrainian Catholic Church or the Greek Catholic Church as they call it. There are the Eastern Rites in union with Rome and all that bitter bitter persecution. Uh, and, and so much of that is, is just, of course, it's just the empire. It's the Russians versus the Ukrainians wanting to make the Ukrainians to submit to them because they are, they are considered to be an, uh, an inferior people, the same way that the Russians historically treated the Poles for so very long, making them, making them to submit. So uh, you, you look at these things and, and then, you, then you look at all the lies being told on both sides and to try to get some sense of reality. You only, you only feel, as Father says, a sense of, of great sorrow and pity, a great sympathy and empathy for the poor people that are caught in the, in the warfare. And I think we have to feel that way and pray that way for all of these people throughout the world who are, who are, who are caught in the, in, in the fire. They're just, they're just used because they're nothing. They mean nothing to these people because they don't believe in, they don't believe in God and they don't believe in, 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 and mortal soul, or I mean, our masters—the one who run all of these things. So, what, 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 what a terrible tragedy! Then the third thing would be the, um, the, uh, the, the whole question of the blacks, the poor, the poor blacks, and, and this whole Ferguson business and, and and the rioting and the role that the United States government, under the guise of being kind or merciful, has played in all the Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty. But actually, they say it started with, uh, with Roosevelt during the era of uh, the Depression, Second World War. The, um, uh, the, in effect, the payment of money, which uh, leads to the, uh, to the justification and the survival of a matriarchy. So there are no men around anymore. Women don't have to be married. There's no role for a husband. The government pays, pays women. This is obviously a simplification, but that's in effect what happens. And that's gone on for generation after generation now. So, so you have this, you have this, this horribly lopsided and unnatural society that's been by government money in effect, uh, promoted or foisted on the on the Negro or the black community in, in America, then these things come as a result of it. But then on the other hand, you have police who are who have been militarized uh, to an astounding degree. I think it's one of the 9-11 after factors. And uh, they come in and, and, and woe betide you if you, in the very least, question anything that they're going to do because they, they are meant indeed to be all-powerful. Once again, as you know, where, where's our dog here? I don't. I don't know who we're going to be backing on this. We we will be backing Catholic truth. We'll be we'll be backing sane principles of social life that the Catholic Church has always taught and proposed. Mm-hmm. So you get in in um, if we uh, pivot now, as it were, a little bit to the whole domestic issue, uh, the relationship between. Um, uh, international wars, as it were, between empires and the, the conflict uh, within society that's 
uh, uh, stirred up and, in effect, uh, promoted by the government to maintain control. You uh, see that uh, very much in in the uh, false racial war and conflict that's been uh, constructed in the United States. And we, we've had for how many weeks now uh, a constant stream of, of, of uh, propaganda discussion about uh, the situation down in Missouri in Ferguson, this, this uh, conflict there supposedly uh, between the um, uh, blacks who are uh, who were told are uh, oppressed and, and persecuted, and the militarized police, and then the federal government uh, getting involved to promote uh, uh, further conflict by maintaining there were uh, some sort of, of civil rights violations. So it's this, this uh, constant uh, agit- uh, agitation, and by maintaining this, this is a way of um, uh, distracting people and uh, and maintaining control. Yes, that's it. And so everything, everything in life today is all squeezed into a Hegelian dialectic, right? The, the, what Ratzinger did and, and the modernists have done to the Catholic Church, our masters do in society and government wars, everything. It's all, it's all, there's always a conflict. The conflict is, is perhaps is set up secretly, is secretly funded, and then is agitated by means of the propaganda of the, of the, the media today. And so there's a, there, there, there's a thesis and then there's an antithesis. And, and let them go. Let them at it. Let them fight. Because out of this will come the synthesis that they're looking for, the bad guys, whether it be in state or whether it be in church. That's what they're ultimately after. And the poor and the poor deluded souls who listen to and buy into this propaganda sell their souls, in effect. And how sad that is. Because there's, there, there, um, is no, is, uh, scripture says, is there no balm in Gilead? Indeed there is. And that's the balm that, that comes of the Holy Ghost. That's the truth. But the, the Catholic Church has the truth. She has the principles. Uh, and thank God there are, the, the voice of, of the church has not been entirely still. There are still at least some priests and bishops who, who will proclaim this truth. But so many, but so many, even Catholics have just bought into all of these lies because that's all they knew. They, they've mm. lived with this, and they've never had the principles explained to them. Right. Yeah, and the wars, both external and internal, are doing that social shaping that you spoke of earlier, Millard. And, I mean, there's just so much we can talk about in here, but one thing I'd like to uh, ask you uh, both about, just zooming in a little bit on the Ferguson situation, it's been about a month now that things have been going on there. It was August the 9th, and just uh, for any listeners that aren't totally familiar with that situation, uh, August the 9th, I mentioned as the flashpoint, there was a young man, uh, Michael Brown, I believe his name was, uh, apparently did a pretty brutal robbery of a box of cigars from a store and was then encountered a police officer on the street. And there's conflicting reports on what exactly happened, uh, but well, he ended up being... Because- it, excuse me, but it was because he was boldly walking down the middle of the street. That's what drew the attention of the police officer, who told him, get out of the street, walk on the sidewalk. And uh, then there was, there was that, in, that led to some sort of a conflict, Nicholas, I think. Right, right. And uh, that, that's a, an important point, Lord. Thank you for uh, reminding me of that. Um, and anyway, we did, 
some people say this officer shot him in cold blood. Uh, some yeah. would say that he charged the officer. And the, I, I don't know that it matters a, a lot for our purposes of what exactly happened. I mean, that's something to be sorted out by the courts, I would think. Uh, and, you know, we, we weren't there. But what, what has happened since then is they've been using this for, uh, there's been all kinds of riots in this town and uh, or I guess small city. Uh, but I think it's interesting that the propaganda, the social engineering, the indoctrination through the public education system that the, the black people who are being stirred up against the, the police on this issue, they're really being used as pawns, I think, to uh, foment class warfare, race hatred, uh, an us versus them mentality, which then leads to the, uh, almost a constant warfare within the society. And I think that's what allows... Yeah. Then they need to yeah. justify, well, they're having riots, so now we need to bring in police with tanks and we need to develop uh, space-age supersonic sound weapons that'll stop people from rioting and all kinds of crazy things that... that and then, uh, then more, they come up more with. spying, so the domestic... Yeah, domestic spying on the citizens as well. And, and ultimately, that means that uh, Congress has to pass more laws, because mm-hmm. if only we had enough laws, of course, we would live in a perfect society. <laughs> you see, all of these, and these are all, these are not accidental. That's the point. They're all intended. All of these things, they're, they're happening on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. the, 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 it's, I guess you could say the, the realization of, of uh, Leon Trotsky's idea of the perpetual revolution yeah. Uh, you have have this constant uh, revolution, and then you end up with this control, uh, because the, the uh, black people in the United States, as a result of of the uh, Roosevelt and the welfare state, uh, end up being the clients of the government. Yeah, and the the uh, uh, this. Um, uh, offers the government an opportunity and an excuse to impose social control. And this is uh, exactly what they do by the passing of more laws, by uh, more investigations uh, and, uh, and accusations. And then eventually the, the uh, supremacy of the government in every aspect of everyone's life. And so mm-hmm. this this is is um, we see I see at least certainly in Ferguson just another uh, stage where this is is uh, taking place. Mm-hmm. And of course they always point out the thing. Oh, if only we had more laws, this wouldn't have happened. Yes. And and always pointing to the state as the solution. When again going back to the we don't have a dogmas fight. We don't support the the robber. Or the the uh, militarized police. Exactly. Uh, the, the solution isn't more laws. The solution is no. getting back to Christ and uh, yes, renewing and that's the message. That's the message that Restoration Radio is trying to get out. And in fact, on a worldwide level, that's the message that I try to get out of my own parish here in Westchester, Ohio, Father Chicada by his blogs and his work, and it's. Um, it's sort of English in, in a sense, and I say this slightly tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, keep calm and do your duty sort of a thing. But there's, there's, there's great wisdom in that. You know, have a cup of tea here. Turn off the television set and turn off the, 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 turn off the, the wireless and keep calm. Just, uh, we don't, they, but they want us to be in a perpetual, they want a perpetual state of war within, Nicholas. I, I believe that's the ultimate goal. Peace is, um, 
piece is the fruit of, of, of order and of justice. They want to take away those, those, those virtues or that fruit of the Holy Ghost. They want to replace with constant agitation because that's where the devil does his best work is when a soul is agitated. So when you realize, wait a minute, these are all just lies anyways. It's, manipula- it's a mass manipulation leading to mass uh, mind control, brainwashing. Maybe I would turn these things off. Maybe I'll, I'll read I'll read some some good articles. Maybe actually I'll read some classics. Maybe I'll play chess. <laughs> maybe I'll go out and I'll work in the garden. That would be a very good maybe. That would be a good response to the insanity of this summer's news. Right. Now, I think that's another important point you raise is not to lead to de- take, take this to despair. Some people, they'll despair over this and think, oh, the world's just too crazy. It's all going to end soon or... And how, yes, that, that, that's true, and how agitated people end up, but again, particularly those who, um, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, our Savior said, and it's, it's, it's death for people if they, they live by the media. They're constantly, everything is jittery, and you know, you're watching that phone, and the phone lights up at night, and you've got you've to you've reach for it and, and see what the latest message is. No, you have to be calm. You have to be a little bit detached. Or you have to reattach yourself to pray. You have to meditate. You should pray the rosary and meditate those mysteries. Read the Mass of the day. Say your devotions. Uh, keep, uh, keep a balanced life. All, they, they want to rob us of all of this because, I, I, I think I'd like to repeat it, the, the, the goal of perpetual war is not only uh, perpetual war in Iraq or the Middle East, or Ukraine, it's, it's, it's perpetual war in society and perpetual war in the soul, in the mind, in, uh, in the individual. And we, we have to opt out of that. We truly do. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me it's quite masterful the way they do it, though, because they, it all, the two sides of these conflicts always seem to, uh, I guess, it seems that people have a natural tendency or a natural desire to have a good guy and have a side that they can support. But they present to us impossible choices or uh, sides where both guys are bad. I mean, again, Ferguson, we look, you know, some people think, well, I don't want to be taking the side of a robber. So I guess that means that I have to side with the police. They need to stop these riots. They need to maintain law and order. So if they zap some people with a microwave gun to make them stop rioting, then I guess that's what they need to do. Or same with uh, Israel and uh, uh, Palestine, or going back to World War II. I think World War II is the example par excellence of that. Of It's presented as this good versus evil struggle. And uh, you're presented with, as you say, international socialists on one hand and national socialists on the other hand. And um, so they, they end up co-opting everyone because if people end up choosing a side rather than just sticking with Catholicism and realizing that they don't have a dog in these fights, then that's how they get the hook into people, I think. They, they do, and they look at World War One and all the, look at England and World War One. say, that entire generation that just that was just wasted and wasted for nothing. They, they whipped up the government propaganda to make the Germans into the Huns, and then the Germans, 
in a certain sense, did their best to live up to their ex- the expectations, but but not really. They 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 weren't barbarians. They weren't at all. It's it's uh, it's uh, perfidious Albion. They were the barbarians in so many in so many ways. And you look at the real history. Look at the individuals, the the, the movers and the shakers of of again world just World War One and the enormous waste and the tragedy of it. Well, that's what. This is what we this is what we bring to the table. I think Nicholas, this is what we have to offer. Stop, read, study, pray, look at this stuff. Don't make a knee jerk reaction because the propaganda propaganda masters want to pull your strings. You're not a puppet. You're you're an immortal. You have an immortal soul. You have you have you have reason. You're a human being. You should you should live up. Acknowledge thy dignity, O Christian. I think we're we're crying out for this. Mm. Now, I don't want to get too much into the tall graph, but uh, something interesting popped in my mind, Lord, is you're talking about the utter destruction of Europe in, in World War One, and then kind of the, the one-two punch followed up with even worse destruction in World War Two. Did did that help pave the way uh, or weaken resistance to Vatican II and its reforms, if well, quote reforms unquote? Do, do you think, think that would was, be a valid? Uh, um, observation or supposition to make that people that was part of the plan they just people were just so desolate and beaten down from these horrific wars and a lot of their best and brightest have been wiped out that that weakened the immune system a little bit absolutely absolutely directly and indirectly everything from these great societal changes we're talking about the role of women or the stability or the lack thereof in the family as a unit of society, all the way to, I'll give you a practical American example, ecumenism. One of the great seeds of ecumenism was planted amongst the chaplains of World War II, which was entirely understandable. So they're not bad fellows, and uh, I can conduct a service for them too, or they could conduct a service for me, that practical cooperation. And you have your beliefs and I have mine and we just respect each other. And I would be horrified at the idea of condemning your beliefs as entirely false and leading people to hell. I would never do that. You're my butt. You're my friend. We're fighting together for the great ideals of American democracy. Uh, in Europe particularly, I think, Father Chicago knows more about this than I do, but the liturgical movement got such a boost, shot in the arm, because of the wars. Right, Father? Uh, yeah, because it was a situation, uh, naturally, the time of war is a time of confusion, and uh, those who wanted to uh, push forward the, the liturgical revolution, certainly in the church, um, uh, profited from uh, the unsettled conditions to uh, push their agenda forward. And in the um, uh, time after the war, uh, uh, certainly, the, the the confusion, the destruction of institutions, uh, the change of personnel, and so on. The liturgical movement also profited uh, from this very much to uh, put their agenda forward. So it's it, it's you build revolutions on wars. Hmm. Well, uh, we're. Just uh, at the top of the hour here, so you're listening to Clerical Conversations on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Nicholas Wansbutter, and I'm joined by His Lordship uh, Bishop Daniel Dolan and Father Anthony Chicada. And uh, today we've been discussing all kinds of things, uh, going through some recent events in the uh, 
news over the summer and talking about Catholic principles on various topics. And we just want to remind you that Clerical Conversations on the Crisis is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually very easily be obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. So that, that little show bumper out of the way, if you don't mind, Lord and Father, I'd like to go back a little bit to, uh, to Russia, because uh, I think this follows on the point I was raising about uh, how you often have both sides are uh, problematic, and in the propaganda, they'll try to idealize one side or the other to try to draw people into supporting one side. And, and I, I keep, I think, uh, my Lord, your point was excellent earlier in the show, where you say you need to go back to World War One and World War Two when you're looking at the the continual yeah. wars we've been in. And uh, and I think a lot of people's uh, worldview and mindset is perhaps subconsciously quite shaped by their view of World War One and World War Two as these great clashes of good versus evil, and especially World War Two, which really helped, as we've discussed, institute the, the modern world uh, as we as we know it. But when you look at the winners as the good guys, then what we're in must be good. But uh, on Russia, that, that's a, a, an interesting topic to me, and Father Chikata sent a bunch of uh, articles to me that I read in preparation for the show, and there's some fascinating things in there. And uh, Again, a lot of people, I think, are tempted to think of you know, they were probably raised thinking of Russia as the evil empire if you grew up yeah, during the, the during the Cold I mean, War. And so they must be the bad guys here. And because they're bad guys, we should be bringing Ukraine into NATO and we should be going into all kinds of war with with Russia. But one of the articles, Father pointed out, I thought this is a really interesting thought exercise that it offered for people is think about what if... Um, uh, I, I mean, just to put the background for, for uh, what's going on in Russia, if some listeners don't know, is essentially there was a more pro-Russian government under uh, Viktor Yanukovych, which was in power in Ukraine. He was effectively, uh, I mean, it was effect- almost a coup, really, that kicked him out of office. And then a new government came in that's much more pro-Western, and they're the ones trying to get into European Union, trying to get into NATO. And they were passing some laws that were of great concern to the parts of Ukraine that are heavily populated by Russians. As people may or may not know, I mean, Ukraine only became a country after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, Before that, Western Ukraine was part of Poland for centuries, and Eastern Ukraine is part of Russia. So there's lots of Russians living in, in the eastern part of Ukraine. So some of them wanted to secede. Uh, I think uh, uh, Crimea had a referendum and the people voted that they wanted to leave Ukraine and leave the Ukraine and join Russia. Uh, so And then now there's fighting because the Ukrainian government is uh, crushing these, quote, rebels, unquote. And then it's unclear whether the Russians are just allowing volunteers to go into the country or whether they've actually sent their own military in there. But I think an interesting way of looking at it is to consider, well, what if... Um, the Russians propped up some anti-American, pro-Russian government in Mexico, and that government then started passing a bunch of laws against if there were some pro-American sentiments in northern parts of Mexico and were going after the Americans there, and then they were wanting to split and join the U.S. And 
the Mexican army was then killing American civilians and pro-American people. I mean, the American public would be howling for Mexican blood. They'd be demanding well, that American troops march on Mexico City. Sure. Well, well N- Nicholas, what, you, what you've given us is actually a thumbnail sketch of American-Mexican uh, relations during the 19th century. Yeah. Almost everything that you've just said actually happened. <laughs> uh, everything, everything. And that's a very interesting historical perspective. How, if, if it were to go on, say, again today, if that were to, were to resume, how would we feel ab- about those things? So, uh, because America is, of course, it's, gonna, it's, it's an empire and it wants to secure its borders and wants friendly countries on each side of it. That's why there was a great to do about Cuba, a little tiny Cuba, because it was a communist bastion, Soviet bastion against 90, 90 miles from Florida. Against, and that was an understandable thing. So, of course, for Putin, the Russian Empire, naturally, uh, this, this, this is their sphere of influence. Uh, uh, yeah, you can, you can have democracy only if it uh, results in a government that our empire likes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're not allowed to have a vote. You, you can't do that. Yeah. 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 This is all the, the, the ironic thing about, uh, not ironic, but hypocritical uh, thing about uh, the uh, America's conduct when it comes to Ukraine, is that actually Yanukovych, the, the uh, pro-Russian president, was de- uh, democratically elected according to their constitution. You know, we supposedly have the great ideal of democracy. Uh, and uh, he was uh, chased out of office, in effect, by a coup d'etat and, and, and uh, uh, pressured to leave the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, pro-Russian, uh, pro-Russian president of uh, Ukraine. Uh, the Americans then, had a big role in that, a big role. Yes, they did. Directly of and course. indirectly. Yes. Yeah. Then our, our, our Ukrainian priest, Father Valery, is a Greek Catholic priest, uh, who, who lived uh, in, 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 in Russian Ukraine, uh, right near the Russian border, actually, and he and his family had to flee because uh, it's gone now. It's all, it's all bombed and destroyed and taken over and so much bloodshed. But he, he reports, of course, that the, uh, the, the original Yanukovych government was corrupt itself and utterly inept, as so many governments mm-hmm. tend to be. Uh, and so it, there, there's this, there truly is almost a sort of sense of, of hopelessness. So the American empire is dangling out all of these economic advantages and, and uh, the, glory, uh, the glory of the world and a, and, and a real temptation to, to the Ukrainians to side with us and you'll get all this stuff. And the Russians, they are at least appealing to some natural values, patriotism, but also morality that the West has, that the West has trampled upon and rejected now. It makes it to be uh, a very complicated situation, but I think we always end up with the same truth at the end. We don't really have a dog in the fight, and we feel so bad for those who are caught in the middle. Right. But the, 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 the pity seems to be that, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Your Excellency, but my impression for Father Valerie is, is that living in the eastern Ukraine, um, there was no real day-to-day conflict uh, between those who had a, a Ukrainian background like himself and uh, those who had a, a Russian background who ended up in the Ukraine. But it's only oh. be- when it became a war between empires that all of a sudden there was a uh, there was a conflict. It was actually, uh, and, very, and it was one created. It was a very it was a post-Soviet 
uh, society. That is to say that religion was almost dead, and, and people and their spirit, their hopes were almost dead. They were all materialists themselves in one sense or another, uh, and uh, it was either Russian Orthodox or else uh, Protestant. American Protestants that, that had the field there, and no one was interested in genuine Catholicism, that's for sure. Uh, and then from the, but what Nicholas said earlier intrigues me from an American point of view. There, there of course, is this, is this tremendous um, wellspring of pro, or sorry, shall we say anti-Russian, anti-Putin feeling in America that can be appealed to everybody from uh, that... Uh, He's a Canadian priest, isn't he? You know, the head of the Fatima industry was always pounding on that stuff. Oh, so Father Gruner? Gruner? Father Gruner. And uh, everything from, from him to, uh, to just those who remember growing up in the Cold War. And Russian equals communist equals bad. So these are just ways that, that, that people get manipulated and uh, behind tags or titles or things like that. But if we have, if we have time, so now, because there's one thing that we didn't cover, uh, and if, if we're talking about the, you know, the news roundup of the summer, we should speak a little bit about the role of the, um, the fate of Christians in the Middle East, because we, in a sense, we do have it. It's certainly a dog in this fight. And uh, the whole, this whole rise of ISIS and these media-savvy uh, Mohammedans who are beheading people and, you know, and then you know, sending the video out to people for their entertainment. Oh. Yeah, um, well, yeah we, we, we certainly do we have time to that, but uh, forgive me more, but could I just put one last thought out there on the Russia question before Please. we change oh, gears yeah. and go to that? Because we've talked a little bit of, some people might say almost pro-Russian kind of stuff, or I think just trying to balance things out a bit. But right. one thing I would just like to hasten to add is again, we're not, we don't have a dog in the fight. We're not saying this means Russia are the good guys. And the reason I would like to point that out specifically is, I don't know about your lordship and father's experience, but I personally know a number of traditional Catholics who've been almost seduced by Russian Orthodoxy and by the Russians. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of traditional Catholics have developed this idealized vision of Russia because they say, oh, well, look, in Russia, some uh, pop, uh, or punk rockers uh, desecrated one of their cathedrals and they threw them in jail. So, you know, look, yeah. these guys, are, uh, they're serious about this and they passed some law that sodomites aren't allowed to have parades in Moscow. So mm-hmm. I've actually known some traditional Catholics who've thought of moving to Russia and I know mm-hmm. more than one who have actually apostatized, left the faith for Russian Orthodoxy because of this romantic, idealized view. And so I, I just want to quickly ask for your comments on that, just to kind of underscore that that is absolutely not a solution. And really, my, part of my family is Russian background. Now, they were Catholics living in Western Russia, so they obviously had a certain perspective. But from what I've always heard from them, is, I mean, Russian Orthodoxy, you talked about the Caesaropapism. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's like the uh, Anglican Church, almost. It's just yes. like this state religion that's just there to prop up the government, really, and in, in terms of any real spiritual authority, it's rather a joke. And the only real spiritual impetus or real spiritual life or anything approaching that that you'll get in any of these schismatic sects uh, is, is actually from the converts, from those who get in, then, then they might find a few kindred spirits who, who want to... Uh, 
who want to develop these themes. But the reality is that it's, an, it's a national church that serves the, the purposes of the current rulers of the day. And that, that speaks an awful lot. But uh, talk about your different perceptions of Russia. This has always intrigued and fascinated me to consider that the French traditional Catholics, as a rule, have a great, uh, have a great um, reverence for not only Russia as opposed to America, but also for Putin, because Putin as, as a leader is publicly attending church, the Russian Orthodox uh, services from time to time, uh, and as seen supposedly wears a cross, and um, uh, actually venerated some of the relics of the Passion of Our Lord when he visited Paris a number of years ago, Notre Dame, and in sort of an official capacity. And for, for the French, who are always yearning for that, the, the, the marriage of church and state and the monarchy and, and all, all those, those wonderful old ideals, this, this was very, very telling for them. So you have that French perspective. The Russians are good because they're, they're, they're for the old values and they look, they've got a, they've got almost a monarchy again and they've got this strong church and it's all reverent and respectful. Uh, and then you have, uh, then those who are from the post-Soviet era, Americans say, who have a strong anti-Russian prejudice in effect. How interesting. But as you say, from the point of, from the spiritual point of view, that's just dead. That, 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 that's a dead end street. There isn't any. It's, it's what Dom Guéranger a long time ago called uh, a withered branch on the body of the church, uh, the schismatic sect uh, that uh, the, the Russian Orthodox Church. There's no life there. There's no possible spiritual life there. Uh, the church has the answers, and if people go to that, it's because they've never they've never actually studied what the Catholic Church teaches, and they never submitted themselves to her magisterium or teaching authority. You always get down to the problem of authority. I think that's what it is. And, if, and they've never understood properly the the subversion of authority in the church because of the the false popes of Vatican II and all this whole. It's all a question of authority. Israelism, for example. And in and, and the Catholic Church, the question of state of a contest view, eventually, that's always the elephant in the room. I think you have to talk about it. That, that's, perhaps that's how these people allow themselves to be seduced, Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it may be. And I, I know some of the, the people I knew, well, a couple of them were, were set of a contest. And I, I guess some people, they didn't study enough of, no, I don't know exactly didn't. what went on, but this, I guess. Scandalized by the situation in the church, they saw this as a as a way out. I, I think it God God knows, but it seems that it's kind of an easy way out to just say, well, hey, look, you know, maybe the Orthodox are right all along because they seem strong and robust right now, ignoring the yeah, fact and- that they were controlled by the KGB for almost a hundred years. Yes, and in fact, Father, Father Valerie maintains, and many, many do, that Kirill, the, the, the patriarch of Moscow, he's, well, he is a former KGB agent. That's a fact. So he's not a believer at all. It's all just, it's, a, it's an elaborate act, and it looks good. If we've got Pope problems in, in, in Catholicism, they've never had a Pope. Well, actually, they did have a Pope. The Pope is always whoever has the power in Russia. He is the one who is infallible, and he is the one who has to be obeyed. And everything else is just is just wonderful props from, a, from an opera, like Boris Godunov, something like that. It looks great, sounds wonderful, very, very moving, it appeals to the senses, but there's no substance. Mm-hmm. Well, um, perhaps now's a good time to change gears, and Lord, I know you wanted to speak about the, the plight of Christians in the Holy Land, and that being a situation where perhaps we do have a dog in the fight, and the rise of 
ISIS and these ter- terrorists in, in the Middle East. Yes, because uh, I think that uh, obviously it's, it's a tragedy to, to, to consider, and, and it's very, very moving to consider the, uh, even the, the people who are dissidents themselves, who are schismatics or even heretics in these different, like the Syrian church, for example. Nevertheless, who kept so much of, of, of Christianity and even a devotion, as Pius XII said to, to our Blessed Mother, uh, the Mother of God, that, that they should be driven out of their homes because of their faith, because they refuse to apostatize, sometimes themselves and their children brutally beheaded, and all of the rest. And it's edifying to consider the sacrifices that these uh, Christians in the Middle East are willing to make because of, of their faith, because, because of, of our Lord. It's a, it's a very, very edifying thing. Uh, and, and, and we should draw some sort of strength and also maybe be reproached by that, I think, a little bit. But the, the essential, I think the essential matter to consider here, to get, to get a hold on what's happening with this, all this ISIS and beheading business, the United States set up and trained these people for the Muhadin and all the rest of it. They armed these people directly and indirectly, as did the Saudis. Then, um, uh, because we wanted to engage in yet another uh, regime change, because we're the empire and we'll declare that. So uh, the, the ruler Assad, the ruler of Syria, had to go, as Hussein, the ruler of Iraq, had to go, and different rulers of Iran in the past, or... Uh, uh, Libya, all, all these, these, these regime changes that we manipulate and, and run. Well, uh, so then they're so successful in Syria that they, they spread over into, into the anarchy of Iraq after the American troops have withdrawn. And, and of course, when given a chance, if they're, not, if, if they're not busy killing each other, they're equal opportunity killers, they're going to kill Christians. They hate Christians. It's a bit like the... It's a bit like the uh, the Holy Land. The Jews hate the Christians, and they would persecute them tomorrow if they could. And the Mohammedans hate the Christians. It's the same thing. If they were not busy killing each other, they would turn on, as they have from time to time, directly and indirectly, on the Christians. So it's the who's responsible for the, the draining of Christians from the Middle East, for their persecution, for their, their murder? The United States is. United States government. We set up this muhadin. We set up all these wars. The the dictators, for all of their faults, and of course, obviously, no one could you know give a brief in their favor. But for all their faults, they maintained a political stability. And the dictators in these lands, Iraq particularly, and in uh, Syria, protected the Christian minority. They protected them. They they considered them loyal, and they were always safe from the the crazy marauding Mohammedans. We, we destroyed that. We destroyed that. And now this is the result of it. The Christians have to flee their own home, and many of them have suffered so very much this summer, this year, and uh, will we'll continue to suffer more. And that is your American tax dollars at work. The, uh, yes, the, the question of the, uh, the extension of, uh, of the empires, and that uh, th- th- those who we've used as as, as uh, tools fighting say another empire uh turn around and 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 use the weapons that we have given them against us that is in fact what happened with the the mujahideen in uh afghanistan that uh, the americans armed them against the soviets and 
eventually when the Soviet influence was uh, lost there, uh, Afghanistan turned around and became a uh, uh, base for al-Qaeda, which uh, we know how that one ended. And so, too, in, in uh, the, uh, Iraq, uh, this, uh, uh, the, the, the arming of these different factions uh, and the destruction of the uh, dictators there as part of a, a, a way of expanding our own empires was turned against us and uh, eventually uh, turned against uh, Christianity as well. Mm-hmm. You see what a, 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 a terrible effect this desire for uh, empire, uh, the ex- export of empire has. Well, I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. It's written right into the Quran that it's, I can't remember the exact quote. It's been a little while since I've uh, studied that, but it's right in there that it, it's good to kill the infidel and to, to kill the, the Christians. I mean, that's their ticket to heaven and all their, quote, heaven, unquote, and all the sensual earthly pleasures that they believe they'll enjoy there. But um, in terms of using these people, is the, do you think this is uh, naivete on the part of the empire builders that they didn't read that part of the Quran, so they don't realize that these guys will turn around on them later? Uh, is it indifference, or is it part really evil genius forward thinking of, hey, we can use them to break down our enemy, but then we can use, they can attack us so that we can have an excuse to wage another war? I think one is very tempted in the case of um, uh, uh, 42, George W. Bush and his, and his minder, uh, the, the Halliburton executive Cheney. Um, one's very tempted to say uh, that they had, they had no idea. They had no interest and they had no idea. And they simply went into this war for their own purposes and they didn't care. But I don't think that you could say that about Hussein Obama, our current president. Uh, he's, a, he's a rather well-read and intelligent man. And obviously he has the Muslim background to, to boot. I think that's, a, that, that's another story there. Uh, but be, be that as it may, this is the result. This is the result of regime change. Uh, we, we set the, if, if reporters are having their heads chopped off and if Christians are being driven from their homes and, and, and put to death, we paid for that and we set that up. Mm-hmm. We should have seen it coming. Now, now in terms of the beheading of these, uh, these journalists, uh, I think that goes back to a bit about something that your, your Lordship mentioned early in the show about the, the, the people in the Middle East, well, they hate Christians, but they hate the American empire not so much because they hate freedom and democracy, mm-hmm. but they hate it because of all the meddling that uh, the empire does in their part of the world. And I, I believe uh, that the person who beheaded these reporters, that he, in, in his video, he in fact uh, said, like, he kind of called out the American foreign policy and, and this meddling as his reason for doing this, didn't he? You know, I, I didn't actually listen to it or, or follow that too closely. Did you, Father? Uh, no, I didn't, but I mean, that's always the subtext. The yeah, subtext okay. is yeah. that we are, um, uh, that these different actions are being undertaken uh, against uh, American citizens because of American meddling. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that um uh, is a uh, that seems to be a constant theme. I mean, uh, I remember myself on nine eleven. Uh, 
uh, first hearing about this on, uh, on the radio uh, about the, the towers being hit. And the first thing um, that uh, occurred to me before anyone made any statement is that it's, it's U.S. Mideast policy, and this is a revenge for it, and this is now what we get for uh, uh, meddling in all of these uh, uh, foreign countries, and uh, now we're being attacked for it. That was the propaganda that, uh, and the very much the line that the Al-Qaeda uh, uh, people took, that it was uh, uh, because of this. It's because we, we uh, uh, keep on uh, getting involved in unjust wars and uh, meddling in other people's affairs that uh, we end up suffering the consequences one way or another ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father, I actually pulled up a bit of a transcript of the video from the beheading of one of the journalists, Stephen Thoughtloff, and apparently mm-hmm. the, uh, the before beheading him, the Mohammedans said, quote, we take this opportunity to warn those governments that enter into this evil alliance of America against the Islamic State to back off and leave our people alone, unquote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's explicit, although it's ironic on the end, though, because how could he possibly think that by beheading this, per, uh, you know, a bound, kneeling man, how, how could he think that that would have any effect other than to have Obama order to drop more bombs on, <laughs> on the Middle East? <laughs> Yeah, of, of course. But then, you know, if you're if you're a fanatic, you're a fanatic, and there are other fanatics on both sides, and they're essentially it will be played according to the script. One suspects sometimes the script has already been written and produced, and we're just uh, we're just supposed to read our lines. Mm-hmm. But but it would seem that um, taking out these dictators and specifically taking out Saddam Hussein, who I believe the Americans had actually set up in the first place, another example of course, that, of course, that, sure, that, that's sure. really been, had the effect of kind of kicking a hornet's nest in the, middle, in the Middle East, because now all these, you mentioned all these Islamic groups are coming up, and Saddam Hussein was really an atheist, secular strongman. He wasn't a Mohammedan fanatic. And no, not at all. If you have to choose, I think the... The atheist strongman is preferable to these guys. It's a it, it, it's a strong argument in favor of, in effect, a very strong empire. We say about uh, the effects of World War One uh, that uh, it destroyed the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the last Catholic monarchy. Let let us note in passing what what that empire did was to maintain in peace. All of these different subjected peoples and nations, little nation states, all these different cultures by a strong centralized government. You take that away, and then what do they do right away? Well, they start killing each other with great glee. You know, the, the, the Bosnians go after the Herzegovinians, and, the, and uh, the Croatians get involved, and the Dalmatians. And everybody kills everybody else to, to settle all these ancient, ancient feuds, which are so many of them, of course, based on religion and apostasy and invasion. Uh, but the, the Austro-Hungarian Empire maintained peace. Hussein, uh, Saddam Hussein, he maintained peace because of his very, very strong hand. And when you look at the, the utter fanaticism of these caliphate people, you have to say, of course there was something to that. 
that was actually a good era for them. And maybe that's, especially in the agitated world of the Mohammedan resurgence, maybe that's really the best that one could have hoped for. But now having disturbed, as you say, the, hor- the hornet's nest, all the, the bugs are all out now and they're biting everybody. But if um, we, we were to say these things in polite company, uh, I Whoa. think the reaction that people would get would be, um, would show how much the propaganda that, that we've been discussing today have, has impacted people and how deeply it's influenced people because a lot of people would be aghast to hear these things. And I think even uh, an American congressman, Ron Paul, I think he mentioned, he brought up the, the American meddling. Oh, yeah, he says a lot of good things. These things. And he was booed by, uh, by his fellows in the, in the Congress. Yes, and absolutely. The, uh, the, how, how deep of a hold this propaganda has. Veritas odium parit, St. Augustine told us the other day for the beheading of St. John the Baptist. Truth uh, gives birth to hatred, and that's ever the way. You say mentioning these things, Nicholas, in polite company. If you even mention it in impolite company, that is to say traditional Catholic circles, <laughs> you could get into terrific trouble. I mean, you have the benefit of the, of the pulpit, microphone system, and, uh, and the fact that most Catholics are, of course, very respectful during the Holy Mass and the sermon. But that doesn't, that's not going to control what's afterwards or was said in private. No, even in, in traditional Catholic circles, a lot of this would be just, just, just be shocking. It would just be, mm-hmm. it, it would be unbelievable. How can you say these things? You can't be right. Right. And, and to listeners who might react that way to the show, I would say, well, well go uh, do some reading and research, and uh, I, I think you'll see that it backs up what we're saying. Mm-hmm. The, you know, turn off Fox News and uh, yes, ma- ma- maybe look up some, something else, look up some, some good books, some good history. Uh, or just, just access some of the, the websites today that might be available to, 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 to give you another perspective on these current events. It's, uh, it's entertaining. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's food for the mind. Uh, it's, it's not at all a slog through it, as propaganda always is. No, this is, um, you should, as Dan Quayle used to say, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. So I, th- I think we should, we should all believe in that, carry, carry that on. I wanted to mention, if I may, I wanted to mention one interesting quote on this ISIS question, that the United States government for all of the bravado and, and the bombing and the talk of, of bombing and maybe sending troops on the ground, the United States government's greatest fear isn't ISIS at all. The FBI, which is, of course, our, our foremost um, uh, anti-terrorist agency, supposedly, the FBI's recent uh, threat assessment for domestic terrorism doesn't make any reference at all because of political correctness to Islamic terror threats. Uh, despite the, you know, the supposed story of the Boston Marathon bombing, the Fort Hood shooting, those were carried out by, uh, by radical Muslims. No, uh, the, most, uh, the, the, the greatest domestic threat is domestic extremism exhibited by, by America's own subjects. And the, the primary manifestation of this kind of extremism is exactly what I'm urging people, we are urging people to do this today on this, on this, on this show, on this presentation, is to possess, this is a quote from uh, uh, the uh, one, one, one writer in particular, to possess the curiosity to discern and to seek out truths and information amidst the barrage of manipulated symbols, symbols again, the government and corporate controlled media used to undermine a potentially informed republic. 
we, we should inform ourselves. And if the government considers that to be a threat, that's an interesting reaction. Uh, and on that note, Malord, I, I hope that uh, our listeners from the National Security Agency are enjoying the show. <laughs> and the Southern Poverty Law Center and everybody else. <laughs> I hope they are. Well, of course, now at least these people are going to have to ante up, right? They've got to pay their nickel if they want to hear the rest of the outrage from us. Unless they right. use the <laughs> NCIS spying agency to, to get a free listen to uh, the Restoration Radio Network, because it's only free now for the first 15 minutes. After that, you've got to pay. More <laughs> uh, and Paula, I don't know how much longer you have to say, but if you have a few more minutes, I wonder if we could just touch really briefly on um, the, some uh, going back, kind of circling back to the Michael Brown thing. We're talking about black culture and that, and one thing that uh, your Lordship mentioned uh, earlier in the show that I wanted to comment on, but we got onto too many other interesting topics. We're talking about the the uh, superfluous father, the the um, yeah. you know the matriarchy that's grown up, and the really the uh, kind of the killing with kindness that uh, the American government has done to black people, and same thing's been done uh, up here in Canada to the. Red Indians or Aboriginals mm-hmm. or First Nations, whatever it's politically correct to call them this week, um, where they're just given these handouts and that just further destroys uh, the family structure. And there, just going back to that, I, I think there was an interesting comment, one of the articles Father Tricata sent me uh, about um, uh, there was one, I think, a, a famous comedian or actor who, who's of uh, African-American descent was saying that if he could change one thing about black culture, it'd be the uniformity of it. And I thought that was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 a sense of loyalty. It's because because they're they're built. It's a it's that's it, built upon a sense of grievance. It's us versus them. It's those bad people, whitey, the, the the bad white people, or the government, or whatever, who persecute us. And we're all poor, and we're all in it together. And they use that to police their own people. And uh, sometimes they do, they do indeed police themselves, but I think as that article points out, at least in private, they, are actually know, they, they know what the truth is. And sometimes people in private will dare to say the truth. But it, it takes a risk. It takes a risk. And I think the article points out that they wouldn't do it in the presence of white people because that would not be uh, well-received or politically correct. It would be viewed as disloyal. But saying the truth can never be disloyal. It always has to be a very first step. Towards, towards getting at the root of things and getting things straightened out again. You have to say the truth, and you must be discreet, of course, but you don't have to be afraid of it. But these, these are people who are all, for all of the anarchy of their, of their neighborhoods and, the, and their life, their society, utter anarchy because of drugs and all that government money floating around and no family structure anymore. Uh, they're, they're, they, they, they police themselves. And I think that's an interesting point, Nicholas. The government has that as a goal, they want us to police ourselves, just as, as say, that the Jews did in the, in the Warsaw Ghetto for the, for the Nazis. And they don't, you know, keep your mouth shut and go along and, and, and wear the uniform and, and don't make trouble. And, and if you do, then you're disloyal to everybody else in, in, in your subgroup. But um, I don't think that we need to be doing the bad guys' work for them. And there are a few, there are a few excellent black writers who point that out constantly. But it's a cultural thing, isn't it? And then people are now culturally conditioned just because they have their enemy and uh, they have their secrets. And mm-hmm. I suppose that's their life. But, and I think this, the homogeneity of culture 
I found really interesting. I, I mean, I think to an extent that's occurring with everyone, really. On the one hand, we have, quote, multiculturalism, unquote, but on the other hand, we really have, I mean, there is a lot of self-policing. We were already talking about that earlier in the show, of the reactions that we would get for making some of the comments that we've made on this show in polite or even impolite company, and, yes, and how yes. that peer pressure would have a, a way of self-correction among a lot of people. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, and you, you uh, see that um, uh, uniformity again very much because of the uh, the influence of, of of the media, the politically correct line, and so on. And uh, as far as the blacks policing themselves. Uh, you very much get that impression in, in, in terms of the, 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 the culture, the way the kids dress, uh, what is considered uh, correct among the black youth, that um, uh, the uh, mode of dress for um, uh, so many of the black kids is, is uh, something that is, uh, uh, you know, enforced by uh, the popular standards of their own individual culture. And it unfortunately goes back to the criminals, to criminal culture, which has uh, been made, yeah, prison that has been made sort of popular, that these, these were the, the, the tough guys in the ghetto who uh, wore the, the, the pants that uh, uh, drooped down uh, because they had um, – lost weight when they were in prison, and this was, was considered something that um, uh, showed that you were really a tough guy, so this became part of, of the popular culture. And the badge of it's, honor. It's, it's, uh, yeah, is is idealized, and if you don't conform to that, uh, you're, public, uh, you're, you're, you're punished. Or if you're, your uh, manner of speaking uh, English is uh, grammatically incorrect, then you are um, or rather is, if you try to be grammatically correct, then you, you are uh, stigmatized as trying to act white, when in fact mm -hmm. you're simply trying to speak the English language properly. So there are all of these things that you can't do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the whole the whole world of corruption too, right? Look at all politicians and 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 they're they're you know, on a local level. I think of Cincinnati city government, for example, and the immense all the deals and all the corruption and all the money, and then the great black and white too. TV preachers, all the money and and all the luxuries that they have amassed for themselves, and the other poor people are supposed to just pay up and shut up, and they're supposed to believe the propaganda that their preachers or their politicians uh, force-feed them and just, just sort of accept them. No wonder uh, they, in such a soulless society without a family, they, they find refuge in drugs. How very sad. No one has ever offered them anything near a solution. Everyone just takes advantage of them and uses them. And I think that the clothing that uh, Father pointed out in the music, those are very important parts to this uh, forcing conformity upon people. And in the among the black youth, it's, they have to listen to rap music, and they'll be yeah. derided. I mean, heaven forbid if there were uh, someone who liked classical music, he'd probably get beaten up in the schoolyard every day. And he has to dress that certain way. And again, it's the same among everyone. I mean, it's the same with... Uh, uh, white people as well. I mean, I know for myself, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I mean, you you could only listen to rock music, otherwise you're a social outcast. 
mm-hmm. and you have to dress a certain mm-hmm. way. So, <laughs> the, the you know the uh, the bad old days, quote unquote, are derided for people being forced to conform. But really, they had more variety of culture then than now, where there's just one type of music. Everyone has to wear jeans and t-shirt. You're not allowed to wear anything else, and it has to be certain approved logos on the t-shirt. Yes, a dress code. There's a very we we have a strict dress code, but ours is nothing like their dress code. You're right. right. But but the one advantage of this, as we're just sort of musing on these social themes, Nicholas, is that uh, on the other hand, I don't know what what your what your adolescence was like, but it offers our youth the opportunity to rebel because that that almost seems to be something in the adolescent gene, right? You have to rebel. Mm -hmm. But you can rebel against the bad guys. You can rebel against the lies and the nonsense and the foolishness. I I willingly admit I was certainly a rebel in the 1960s, which is a great era of revolution, but I rebelled against the Novus Ordo Church and the New Mass and, uh, and, and the whole program of modernism in, in Catholicism. So uh, there, there is a good side to this. There is a good side to this, I think, in, in some very maybe indirect sense. And uh, by means of harnessing that, that, natural, um, that natural impulse, which, of course, is disordered to start with, but there you have it, you, 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 you can... You, you can maybe appeal to youth today. You don't have to be enslaved by all of this. You don't have to. There's something else. Show a little courage. Be a rebel. Speak up. <laughs> right. Well, one final news story that I'd like to squeeze in here that's been pretty big, I think, in American news is about the the border to the south with Mexico. We've mentioned Mexico oh, yeah. earlier, and we just mentioned immigration and multiculturalism tangentially. And uh, talking about the the black culture, but um, uh, it's, it, this summer there's been this open borders issue that's becoming a big problem, and uh, I wonder if we could just speak a little bit from a Catholic perspective uh, about that, since there's thousands upon thousands of illegal immigrants coming across the American border from Mexico. First of all, I guess, let's sort of, who are the puppet masters behind this, and, and to what end are they encouraging all this mass illegal immigration into the United States. That's an interesting issue, and I, I tend to think it's also going to be one of those things where you see so much wrong on both sides. Mm-hmm. You have to consider how the plutocracy in, in, in Mexico, in, in, in union now with the American uh, capitalist and big government, have uh, destroyed, the, uh, especially since that trade agreement about 20 years ago, really ha- has, has destroyed so much of Mexican economy. And so these poor people, fathers of families, or would-be fathers of families, who have, after all, a natural right to be able to support their families, find that there's nothing else that they can do for a future than to, and then to illegally to enter the United States, get themselves smuggled across, and then attempt, attempt to work. The trouble is that when they leave their homes and their villages and the rest, whatever remnants they had of uh, religion and very often of morality, with the exception of some strong family values that seem to perdure, uh, those things tend to go. That, that's always a tragedy of, of, uh, of, of immigration. And obviously, for a lot of this talk about uh, immigration and borders and the rest of it is fueled by, uh, by a certain racial prejudice. Maybe it's because I've known so many Mexicans and I've worked in Mexico for so many years myself now as a missionary bishop that uh, I tend to find I have great sympathy for them. 
but uh, it is a it is a complex issue, and it has a it has a, it has an economic side. And you can see with the puppet masters, the bad guys wanting to create this one world society again with the open borders and the rest of it. I don't know, Father Chicago, what do you think? Yeah, as you say, it is a complex issue, and you do feel very sympathetic uh, toward the people who do uh, live in poverty. On the other hand, the uh, you, you can see from the point of view of, of uh, American socialist uh, politics uh, that the uh, uh, the idea is that this is an issue to be uh, manipulated by politicians on both sides of the aisle. The um, uh, Democratic Party wants to um, manipulated uh, the, the, the immigration issue in such a way to use it to their advantage so that they can um, uh, acquire more adherence to the Democratic Party. On the other hand, the uh, Republicans want to wave the uh, uh, flag of, of uh, uh, American nationalism, uh, etc. So they use that for their their own purposes. So the, uh, you can see from the point of view of American politicians how it is uh, being manipulated. Uh, then uh, actually having dealt uh, with the United States immigration system, uh, I can uh, tell you that it's an absolute mess. Uh, you, you, you can, because to come and to work in this country uh, legally, uh, the bureaucracy makes it uh, so difficult uh, for you to do this. You, you, you have to have a lot of money, and it's, 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 uh, uh, it can cost you as much as $5,000 to get someone uh, into the United States uh, legally. So there's this, this uh, uh, enormous government uh, bureaucracy. And I, my impression, at least with, with Mexicans, is that uh, they, uh, in many cases, simply do not want to live in the United States permanently. They simply want to come and earn some money and then uh, go back home because that is their, their culture. That's what they're, they're uh, interested in. But the laws in the United States make it so difficult for them uh, to do this that they, many of them do have to come here uh, illegally. So it is that this complex danger is if, if they come here, that their children become Americanized and, uh, you know, addicted to coke and everything else. And then they want to stay in, in, in what they would consider to be blindly the good life rather than send the money back and and start a family, buy a house, build a house, have a fiesta, get the kids baptized, get married in the church, whatever it is, and, and have some big, big fiestas because that's so much part of their, their culture. So that's, uh, that's the danger of, of these relatively innocent people on some level coming to our country and getting perverted because America uh, exports perversion and America lives perversion. We, we don't see it because we've lived with it. We breathed it in all of our lives. But oh, you see the effect of it on these other more innocent native peoples. Oh my goodness, it's a it's a shameful, and uh, and, and a really terrible thing. So it is it's a complicated issue. Yeah. Right. Uh, on the flip side, is there an issue in justice for American citizens who are uh, losing jobs, perhaps because since the immigrants are legal, they can't command the same type of salary that a legal citizen would, and that therefore people are losing jobs? I think that gets us into another issue because the 
uh, our corrupt Congress and its laws have managed to destroy the American middle class. And, and yeah. uh, uh, so that there's this, this wide uh, and astounding income disparity now, uh, but, uh, whereby uh, we've turned into to, to a country that primarily uh, ends up with people in low-paying service jobs. So I don't think that, that from the point of view of Mexicans or immigrants, that that is making uh, uh, too much difference. And, you know, uh, most American kids are too spoiled to go and pick grapes. Uh, at, at least the Mexicans, uh, your legal immigrants, are willing to do hard physical labor. So the, yeah, uh, again, it's an extremely complex issue, but I don't think that it's really a question of of um, uh, job loss or uh, or anything like that. I think it's it's uh, it gets us into another problem of, of the decline of uh, American society because of the corruption in our political system. Hmm. Well, uh, we Lord have the best Father, Congress that money can buy. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, yeah. we've—I uh, I know, uh, Lord and Father, you both have busy days ahead of you, and you have uh, uh, other duties to attend to. So I—I I don't want to keep you uh, much longer. But uh, and thank you for indulging me in my questions and the few things I wanted oh, to talk about near the end there. But before we wrap up, was there anything that either of you wanted to to touch on before we close? I, I think probably just to, just just to stress this idea, what Father Chicada mentioned about the wage, the just wage, that this, this too is unknown. That the, these, these are all the great unknown truths of Catholicism. The Church has a social teaching. Employees have rights. Employers have duties, and vice versa. It's like it's like husband and wife. And these things had never been taught or explained. Uh, the, the, the immense possibilities there for a just society had never been exploited as much because of Western capitalists who would be then, you know, uh, believing and praying Republicans, as it were, as, as, by, as by the communists or the socialists. So it's our duty to, to not only to get a uh, sort of a quiet, uh, impassive uh, reflection on, on the truth, to get at the truth, to get that out, but but then to get out the Catholic Church teaching, the kingship of Christ embraces every aspect of life and of society, and uh, so therefore, there's nothing that we talked about today that doesn't directly or indirectly touch religion. And if that's uh, if that's the one message that I could get out, I would get it out. And if your priest gives a sermon or publishes something on these points, you should encourage him to do so. You should spread it around to others and talk it up. Because um, this is a this is a great, often neglected, but very important work. And I would uh, develop that uh, just this way, uh, or in this sense, that uh, uh, find out what the Catholic principles are, uh, and learn to stand aside from the society and the culture in which you live with many problems it has uh, in order to uh, see it, see everything around you from a uh, Catholic perspective. And that's uh, that would be the first point uh, I would make. And the second point I would make would be to the folks in the Southern Poverty Law Center that I hope you at least have enough money, you're not so poor, that you can't afford to support uh, Restoration Radio. <laughs> 
because you get a lot of you get a lot of fodder here. This is going to let's be a good source. redistribute some of the wealth toward us. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, my Lord and Father, thank you very much for a fantastic and fascinating couple hours. Uh, we've covered a lot of grounds, and I think it'll give our listeners uh, an awful lot of uh, food for thought. Um, and to our listeners, uh, I also encourage you to, for further study, uh, one place you can look at is sggresources.org. That's a website uh, run by Father Chikata, and um, it well, has, has all kinds of things on it. It has a link to Father Chikata's blog, has uh, a link to Bishop Dolan's newsletter, has a number of important articles, the St. Richard the Great Bulletin, and... Uh, uh, numerous uh, other things that you can, uh, just some things like some good music that you can purchase and uh, uh, things of that nature. So I, I encourage listeners to check out sggresources.org. And if you'd like to contact uh, the bishop or father uh, to give them a note of thanks for the work they do or to, to ask them a question on something we've discussed, uh, you can reach them at St. Gertrude the Great Church. Uh, 4900 Rialto Road, that's 4900-R-A-L-T-O Road, Westchester, Ohio, 45069 is the zip code. Again, 45069. So uh, with that, then, uh, I'll let your Lordship and Father uh, get back to your full day and uh, your other duties and work that you have. And thanks once again for uh, joining me for an excellent episode of Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. Nicholas, I would just add that if it's always a pleasure to be here with you, and, and this has been a very interesting show. If, um, the, uh, if, the, if the rules of capitalism, i.e. the financial support, dictate that this has been an interesting topic for people, I would suggest that from time to time we take time simply to discuss current events in, in the light of the kingship of Christ. I think, it could be a, I think we could be on to something here for Restoration Radio, and, and it could actually be very, very helpful. So let's keep it in mind for future programming, too. Certainly, absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you for, for, for having a Father and myself, and we look forward to the next clerical conversations. God bless God you. God bless you all. Thank you. So, uh, listeners, if you have any questions or uh, some show uh, topic suggestions, uh, you can reach me and the Clerical Conversations on the Crisis crew at uh, clerical at truerestoration.org. That's C-L-E-R-I-C-A-L at truerestoration. Org. And uh, all of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped who help to make our network worthwhile. And remember that above and beyond material contributions, such as purchasing this show a la carte or taking out a subscription, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. So please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. So for the restoration, I'm Nicholas Wansbutter. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.